Welcome to the CE Pro Podcast. I'm Executive Editor Arlen Schweiger. You probably know the name Micah Sheveloff from his work as an industry PR professional representing clients such as Savant and Audio Control. But you might not know Micah is also an accomplished musician. His latest album is called Rockville, and Micah joined us for the latest Industries Got Talent segment to chat about his musical background and what goes into the making of a great album these days. Micah Sheveloff, founder of the public relations firm Work Media, who also recently re- released the album Rockville. Thanks for being with us today. Oh my God, thanks for having me. Welcome to sunny St. Pete. Awesome. Degrees and sunshine. <laughs> Micah, you know, uh, you've spent many years working in the custom electronics industry, but we wanted to talk about your personal side instead of the companies you rep today and your career as a musician. So, you know, let's just start off with, um, in terms of your background, you were born into a house that was filled with music with your dad as a professor of music at Boston University. Uh, did you embrace, you know, music? Did that come naturally through your exposure to it? Or how did you develop as a musician? Well, you know, you could, I mean, in a way for a kid, it's, uh, you think of it at that time as being force fed. You know, my mother was a musician as well. They both attended the high school in New York City that the TV show Fame was based on. Uh, and went to college for music, you know, music after that, and then ended up in Boston. And uh, my father taught, uh, he was a professor of musicology near for almost 50 years at Boston University. Sure, as a little kid, I mean, they handed me instruments when I was three years old. Um, I was doing ear training uh, at that age. So, you know, my father would play me segments of a melody, and I had to sing it back or play it back. Uh, I was in a touring choir in late elementary school, early junior high, uh, you know, just, you know, I read music at a very young age. I think it does positively impact your capacity to learn in some ways. So I think there's value in it, you know, as rounding one out as an individual. Okay, uh, Micah, um, looking back at your career, you were kind of cutting your teeth on the in the Boston music scene in the 1980s. Did you realize how vibrant the scene was with bands like Till Tuesday, the Del Fuegos, Fahrenheit, and then later uh, bands like Letter, Letters to Cleo and the Lemonheads? Did you realize how good the scene was back then? So, you know, I was a teen, you know, late teens, early 20s, and there wasn't a whole lot of uh, coherent uh, recognition of, of things like that at that age. I was just rocking, you know, playing, you know, sort of immersed in the scene. Uh, we, you know, we, I played numerous gigs with, with, with Charlie and, uh, and, and just part of that whole crazy rat, uh, Bun Ratties channel, uh, so many places, Jumbo, Jaspers, it just, the whole scene. I don't think I, if I had had any, a cogent realization of what was going on and what the potential was, it probably would have navigated differently, but that's the beauty of being a, a youth. So, it's, you know, it is what it is. You know, I didn't really have a grasp of how insane and colorful it was until later in life. Ar- Arlen, before you ask the next question, uh, um, Micah, where did your band, The Detours, fit into that scene? Uh, the Detours, uh, portion of the detours was from Lexington, but the Lexington Mass where I grew up, but they were older than, a few years older than I was. We met actually in the scene 
uh, in the Boston music scene, not in Lexington. We were, uh, they were, they were immersed, they were residing in a warehouse in Waltham, Mass that had been used by, by Aerosmith. And uh, if you look at early Aerosmith records, there are references to a warehouse spelled like wrong. I forget how they spell it, but uh, we were, we were there and uh, you know, they had already kind of established themselves, but didn't have any keyboards. And I kind of brought that, you know, ARP string ensemble, uh, piano, you know, piano ARP string ensemble combination that kind of gave it a little bit of that eighties gravy. And uh, we ended up having, uh, we made a video for a song called Stuck in My Car that ran number one local WBCN for eight or nine weeks uh, in the summer of 1983. And uh, we just played, you know, as a result of that, we played sold out venues for months. I mean, it was just an incredible experience, um, uh, which I'm super thankful. Like, you just, you just can't, you can't choreograph anything like that. It was one of those things that uh, just super thankful to have part of my past. So Micah, this is pretty fun uh, trivia, I think, for our, for our audience, but you were in a band with uh, the vocalist from Extreme, if people remember those, uh, that band, um, with uh, his vocal, their vocalist, Gary Sharon. And did you have any idea that Gary would go on to, you know, have such success with Nuno Betancourt and especially that huge hit that they had, uh, More Than Words. No, I, I, I'm no crystal ball. I tell you, when I worked with Gary in uh, the mid-'80s, uh, the band was called The Dream. Um, they ended up selling the, the band name to CBS for a TV show, and they became X Dream or Extreme. Um, so there's the trivia part of your question. Uh, when I played with them, they basically took me with my classical piano background and threw me into a situation where they wanted, uh, you know, they wanted synthesizer parts and I was completely lost. So musically it wasn't a good fit, but I knew right away that Gary Schroen was a talented dude. He was a great lyricist. He, he leaped all over the stage. His, his fitness was insane. Um, he could sing and he also um, just had a sense for performance that he, I mean, they still play today. They do very well. They're all over the place internationally. And uh, just, I, I was there before Nuno. Um, I met him a couple of times, just going to see Gary. What a talented crew they are. I mean, just really. And, you know, he almost killed me once. Uh, he jumped on stage and grabbed at what he thought was a bar, but it was one of those portable movie screens and it came crashing down right in front of me. So I, I, he just missed taking me out with his antics. Great, great, talented dude. So I'm so, again, you know, all sold out venues, playing with people like the Joe Perry Project, uh, Fahrenheit, you know, with Charlie Farron and tons of other, I can't even think of them all, probably half of them I've forgotten, but just amazing experience. Okay, Mike, as your uh, career progressed, you did find success with the Voodoo Jets. And I think one thing that was unique about that band is that you had a completely unique sound than a lot of bands out there at the time that were primarily guitar based. How did that sound come about? Well, first of all, the, what happened was after I, I left the Boston music scene, I lived in Burlington, Vermont for a while. Um, I got very, in Boston, I got very deeply uh, involved with, with very high end car audio. And that took me to Vermont, it took me to Connecticut, um, and I, during that time, I was just playing, um, I was just playing sessions 
So I and, and doing some uh, you know production and working with artists, but I wasn't in a band or doing any kind of real uh, live band performance at that time. Uh, I had one record that I did with a bunch of guys uh, called Something Outside. That's out there. Uh, actually, the record is called Hurt Dance. It was done around 1990-91. It was one of the earliest Pro Tools records. Uh, some great players on it, too. Graham, maybe, from Joe Jackson's band and some other people. Uh, and that's a, that's a good pop record. It's a really good, good record. Those guys did a great job. Um, but I became, uh, I became uh, reticent for, for the band thing. And so in the early to mid-2000s, uh, I grabbed uh, uh, this guy, Francesco Perona, who is just a, a gifted fretless bass player and had a really unique vocal style. And uh, he knew John Fowler, the drummer from the, the band Steelheart, who rest in peace passed away in 2008. So the three of us put this trio together and I always, going back to the warehouse in Waltham, um, one uh, uh, chemically affected evening, I plugged a Fender Rhodes into Joe Perry's uh, guitar amplifier stack and I just, created this insane sound and it never left me. Like I always thought someday I'm going to do something with that. So fast forward to, you know, 2003, 2004, I bought a Roland AX1, which is the keyboard you strap over your shoulders. Um, and I just triggered uh, a very carefully tailored Fender Rhodes sample, uh, which I drove into a wall of Marshalls and created the Voodoo Jets thing. And that's kind of how we, uh, when it, we, you know, we put, we, I wrote a bunch of power pop songs and we did some touring made a couple of records. The first record was produced in Boston by David Minahan, who's a legend, you know, all kind of an alternative rock legend, legend and played with the replacements and uh, recorded that right, right under the shadow of Fenway Park. So the Voodoo Jets was completely unique. There's one, unfortunately, we didn't have a lot of video. There's one live video from a club in New York uh, on uh, YouTube uh, of a song called Just For Fun. And you can see, uh, and you can see John doing his thing, and he was an unbelievable drummer. In addition to that, he could sing harmonies the whole way, drumming away and doing his thing and singing the vocal mics right there. And he was an amazing backup singer. So it's kind of a cool video from that standpoint, but it's just a stationary camera on stage with us tearing it up. So, you know, but you get a sense for it. So during all this time, you know, you're starting to... Uh along with your musicianship, you've got other things going. So, you know, we want to know how does a guy go from, you know, Boston and that whole New England music scene um, to the car stereo industry that you briefly mentioned, um, and then into PR doing, you know, working with the consumer and custom electronics markets, you know, with this focus that uh, has brought you to all these industry events and being a fixture in the custom industry these days. You know, it's uh, the progression in, uh, is kind of, it, 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 a lot of it is intuitive. Um, I was just looking for a way to earn a living when I, when I started playing music in the Boston scene. I was pumping gas and working as an apprentice car mechanic. And one of the things is it began to like mess up my hands. Like you, you drain, a, uh, drain a transmission pan, you know, when all that stuff runs down, it's, it just started to beat up on my hands. And I was like, I'm going to mess up my, my piano, my piano fingers. So I got into car stereo and uh, I was introduced to a place called Rich's Cartoons in Watertown, Mass. And there's countless stories. Uh, you know, what's funny about that is that I was uh, immersed in the music scene at that point. And you know, all the, 
all the rock and roll guys, Aerosmith guys were customers there. Charles Aquadera from WBCN with all the WBCN guys ran out of there. So it was kind of like family day. We all knew each other and it was just kind of the, the Red Sox, the Celtics, Oil Can Boyd, and later Tom Brady. I mean, everybody was in and out of that place. So it was quite a, uh, it was quite a, a colorful place to, to hang out. So I worked in Carstairo for a long time. I was very passionate, very intense about it. Uh, when I opened my store in Connecticut, um, I, I got published a lot and I saw how the public relations engine worked. You know, how uh, at first it was the manufacturers saying, hey, you should cover this guy, meaning me, because he's doing innovative work. But really what they were looking for was coverage of their products and their services and whatnot. So I saw how that worked. And when I, when I got older and I started a family and I wanted to sell the business, uh, the lovely Lucette Nicole, uh, an esteemed colleague in, in PR, she said to me at that point, you know, why don't you go work in New York City for Audio Video International uh, while you figure out what you want to do next? And I did that um, with Nancy Klosek, who you guys all know. And uh, I worked there and I saw again how the PR engine worked. And a lot of, a lot of the smaller companies, even mid-sized companies, just didn't have the, the, the team internally to make it happen. And it was there right at the very beginning of digital photography and you know there was all kinds of exciting thing happened I said you know I can really I think I could improve uh, the, the, the PR process for a lot of these smaller companies and uh, you know I had a couple of smaller clients and a company called Astroflex which was a Canadian company that made um, that made uh, remote remote starters for your car and they said look you know we think this business is changing we want to sell the company and they said, get us as much press as you can, which I did. And they got acquired by Directed Electronics. And I got a call literally at the end of the day. And they said, thank you so much, you're fired. Um, and that's kind of how, you know, a lot with the acquisitions. And uh, then I had Teal Loudspeakers as a client. And that visibility, uh, you know, really helped me grow my business. And then Savant and companies like Audio Control and Bryce. Anyway, you know, it just grew. And uh, it's been the most fun of my professional career by far. Awesome clients, awesome people, just amazing. Love it. Okay, uh, these, uh, I was going to say, Micah, these days you can be seen at the trade events and, and booths uh, from companies like Bryston Audio Control and Savant. But the other side of you, you've evolved as a from a rock guy, let's say, to a singer-songwriter. How did you evolve from a, a rock guy to a singer-songwriter? And can you talk about the recording of your new album, Rockville? Yeah, no problem. So keep in mind, Bob, I, I evolved first from a classic, you know, I was taking classical piano for years and singing classical music and going to ballets with my, my mother and father and uh, uh, symph symphonic performances and all, all of that. So I evolved from that through typical, you know, rebellion stages into the rock and roll thing, the Beatles, Partridge Family, uh, the Monkees, all of that. Uh, you know, Batman, all of the TV stuff. Um, and then uh, I was at a friend's house, Concord, New Hampshire, in the late 70s. And I saw the band Cheap Trick on Don Kirshner's rock concert. It's totally changed my life. I just, I mean, to, every musician has those moments where they're like, and I, you know, I saw that they performed a song called Oh Candy off their first record. It just changed my life. I was just like, I gotta, I gotta play rock and roll. So that was a come to Jesus moment for me. Uh, I played a bunch of noisy, noisy music and the Voodoo Jets. I mean, people have said to me that numerous times, that's the loudest band they've ever heard. We were just out of control. And then uh, 
but my writing and if you even you know you listen to all the work that I've done my writing was always you know a little complex uh, guitar players hate working with me because my chord voicings are all twisted and upside down and so um, I, I went back to and I was always passionate and fond of you know the great singer songwriters like Joni Mitchell and you know you know, just other genres. Uh, so, you know, I, I got back to uh, Lyle Lovett's another one that really made me stop and think, you know, I'd like to sit down and, and just play singer-songwriter material. And in order to do that, I had to write some. So I made a record called Exhibitionist, which was made to tape, uh, you know, really minimal editing and that was really something I just had to get out of my system. When I got around to making this record, Rockville's the first record that I recorded in St. Pete. And I'm so fortunate. I, uh, I, I reached out to uh, Big Three Studios down here, which is a major label studio. And, and, and they referred me to this guy, Jason Pennock, who's just this awesome LA producer, engineer, who decided to raise his family back here in St. Pete. And, uh, he, he and I worked together to put this record together. So it's a completely Pro Tools record. Um, you know, for me, that doesn't really change all that much. You know, I'm going to play the parts. I'm going to sing the parts anyway. Um, so, you know, what it does is it gives me access to Jason. Jason was a drummer and he had piano. So, like, just the access to being able to, like, choose your drum samples, just to dial in all the sounds that you want with an expert on that level was unbelievable he was just such a great asset um and uh you know i've recorded uh i've recorded to all different kinds of microphones and the better that you know the retail and the thousands of dollars this whole rockville record was made to assure uh, it's the one you see on all the talk the, the, the podcast site it's a five or six hundred dollar sure microphone and people like sm7 this. i think yeah and they like this vocal performance the best so you know, I think it's it's all about the hands. You know, I mean, I think Nuno used to say that, you know, they people would ask him about sounds, and I've heard him say this somewhere, it's really a lot about the player. And it's the same, I feel like with this engineer, like he did just a magnificent job of getting the best out of me, which is, you know, vocally not always easy to do. So Micah, uh, you know, we'd really love for you to uh, to do a performance for us today. You know, we I know you're set up down there for it. Uh, but real quick, before you give an introduction to that, just tell us, uh, you, you know, tell everyone where they can find your music online. Well, I'm still waiting for, you know, uh, I'm waiting for Pandora to give it the green light. Other than that, it's everywhere. So, you know, it's on for the Hi-Fi guys. It's on Cobuzz. It's on Tidal. Um, it's on all the, you know, Apple Music and Spotify and, all of that and uh, you know any industry person can just email me and I'll give them a private concert like we're doing right here I don't whatever you know I'm easy you know I'm, I'm uh, we're, nobody's touring right now so you know we're all sitting home or what's it live from home or live from here or whatever it is uh, the hashtag so uh, couch tour couch tour exactly Almost like so, Daryl Hall live from Micah's house live right. from Micah's house yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so uh, you know I love doing that um, we did, I did my first Facebook Live last week and we had uh, a big storm up back here and this uh, lightning going and, you know, whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm game for anything. Uh, the song I'm going to play today is uh, Dynamite. It's the third song off the record. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, I'm 
I know Bob wanted to put me to work. He, he wants to put the put your uh, you know put the put the wheels to the road and let's see what we can do here. So I I said okay, no problem. I'll play a song. Thank you, Micah. Anytime, my pleasure. All right, well, fire, fire away. <laughs> I was going to say, Micah, before you play the song, yeah. you had referenced that guitar players hate working with you because you, you like these uh, intricate chord, uh, chord voicings and whatnot. Can you give us a little background on this song? In terms yeah, of so uh, I can give you a little background. So, and you mean musically, like technically? Yeah. So yeah. The, the verses of the song are um, pretty straightforward. But um, this is a perfect example of that, Bob. You picked a good song to ask me. The, the chord voicings for the chorus are, they're, they're all inversions. Uh, they're all e, f, e flat, as you know, Bob, guitar is tuned to E natural. So you're either going to tune the guitar or down or use a capo or something. You know, it's just E flat is always challenging. And, um, uh, and in addition, you know, they're, 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 I don't know if you want me to demonstrate, but they're, there. Yeah, uh, if you could, Michael, let's let's give a little musical lesson for those out there. Well, I don't know if it'll be a lesson, but uh, you know the the so this is um, so I'm using an A flat major chord with the seven, which would be G natural. So I've got an A flat here going to the seven, that's a G natural. So here's the A flat major chord, throw the G natural on top, but I've got an E flat in the bass. So that is the second inversion okay. because A flat is the root, C, major, C natural would be this first inversion, E flat would be the second inversion. So I've got the second inversion in the bass. So it's like not rocket science, but it's uh, challenging enough that, you know, I would, we'd do track and that's why I ended up uh, with a guy, uh, it's a guy in New York City named Mark Shulman, who I played with for years. And he's, he's a monster. He played with Suzanne Vega through all those big records and uh, Jewel and countless other artists. He's in New York City. And I actually flew up to New York to do a couple of Rockville tracks with him. Uh, and he's just a monster. And like, I'll give him any, any song in any key, whatever, and he'll chart it out and be ready to go. And that's kind of like, you know, when you find someone like that. Also, I worked with a guy named Cameron, who's a 20-something-year-old kid here in, um, in St. Pete for the other guitar tracks, and he did an unbelievable job. So there's people out there, but I just, uh, the for the most part, uh, the guitar players will look at my charts or look at these songs and be like, oh, my God. So it's just whatever, you know, it is what it is. You want a little yeah, dynamite action? Yeah, yeah. Strong. 
Micah Sheveloff, thank you so much for that beautiful performance. Hey, thanks for having me. Totally uh, an honor to be on with Bob and Arlen, the music masters of CE Pro. <laughs> thank uh, you, Micah.